Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Alvin factor. Okay? Mm. Because his older brother Alvin had clearly died before the church um, was a thing. And they they went heavy on being baptized by the right authority in order to get into the celestial kingdom. And obviously at the time as well, heaven and hell was a very real thing for these people. Okay. Um, so when Alvin died, the family asked a Presbyterian minister in Palmyra, New York to officiate at his funeral. As Alvin had not been a member of the minister's congregation, the clergyman asserted in his sermon that Alvin could not be saved. William Smith, Joseph's younger brother, recalled the minister intimated very strongly that Alvin had gone to hell, but Alvin was not a church member, but he was a good boy and my father did not like it. So that's the sort of um, religious view at the time of literal if you weren't baptized you were you'd go to hell okay but then joseph had an experience which he recounts in doctrine covenants 137 verse 6 in january 1836 many years after alvin's death joseph smith received a vision of the celestial kingdom in which he saw that alvin as well as his mother and father would someday inherit that kingdom joseph's Joseph marveled at how it was that Alvin had obtained an inheritance in the kingdom, seeing that he had departed this life before the Lord had set his hand to gather Israel the second time and had not been baptized for the remission of sins. So this this vision that he's had is 1836, and he doesn't come out with baptism for there till 1840. So there's that quandary in his life, as well as for other people around him, that he's had a vision of Alvin being exalted in the celestial kingdom, but he's living in a world where non-baptism meant hell. Any thoughts? I really love the fact that you mentioned Joseph seeing problems in the world around him and solving it with a theology. That's actually one of the good things about Mormonism that I like, that um, it gives us the scope to do that. But before we jump ahead to you know this, this vision in the celestial kingdom, what Joseph Smith introduces is this um, is, you know, back to the missionary plan of salvation, back to this holding space of spirit prison um, or paradise. You know, when I first talked to my husband, my non-member husband, about uh, spirit prison, he fell about laughing. He thought that was the funniest um, thing that he had ever heard. That's where we send our ancestors to who haven't heard the gospel. Um I also think it's really interesting that we, um, I'm I'm a member of a ward who were very, very rigid in thinking and quite often the Catholic religion would get pot shots on a Sunday during a testimony meeting, which was very unnecessary and I disliked very much. But I remember some guy um, who was bearing testimony of how purgatory as as he had heard of it because he wasn't even a catholic he's just heard about this and was such an awful awful thing and i'm (laughs) I'm listening to him thinking 
as he heard of Spirit Prison. Like you preach the same thing, but you're calling it a different name. What mm -hmm. do you so yeah, so there's this idea that there's precedence for it that um I don't know, it's a it's a love it or hate it kind of thing. It's so I just before you do, Julian, on the spirit prison thing, I was on the paramormal investigation the other night and uh, they were asking me to call out to the spirits. So I was calling out, are you in spirit prison? Because I thought that would have been the perfect response to get a yes. And you'd be like, plan of salvation, spirit prison. Go on, Julian. No, I was just going to make the, the comment that this is all linked to the also to, to the problem that we know so little about the, the next life if there is one you know and i think that that's true for a lot of religion yeah if you think that you know the old testament is virtually silent on on any kind of concept you know the, the old testament doesn't even make it clear that there is an afterlife there's very little in the new testament and even in mormon theology the reality is that we could take everything that we know about the, the next life and we could write it on the back of a tithing envelope um we don't know and so we have to come up with some of these ideas to try and make sense of it all um but it doesn't make a lot of sense and that's and that's what we try we, you know we, we're trying to we're trying to make sense out of something that we know very very little of and um our kind of blundering attempts don't make you know make even less sense um julian you just had had talked about all of the scriptures where it doesn't make it clear i hadn't even thought of this one and this is mentioned on page 361 of this is my doctrine there is no indication in the book of mormon that christ introduced the doctrine of salvation for the dead during his visit to the nephites even though according to lds doctrine mm -hmm. he had just visited the spirits in prison and opened the door for their salvation mm -hmm. isn't that really interesting mm -hmm. yeah because imagine how many things that they would have actually had in the book of mormon if the book of mormon had been written in 1844 and not the 1820s mm. you know before meat, you fight smelt before me yeah but when when you you could mm -hmm. argue the the point that the the main function of religion is to help us cope with death the main function is is the mm. the the great fear and anxiety that mankind has always had um t because of death and it it's just so vague <laughs> you know we, we we don't flesh any of this out mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's, it's the God of the gaps, as we always say, you know, it's, it's always come from man trying to man and woman, yeah. trying to fill in the gaps that they wonder about so much, because death is a painful thing. I don't mean the actual yes, mm -hmm. that's painful. But for the people left behind, it's emotionally painful. And how do you explain that pain? How do you deal with that pain? You know, and it is comforting to think that that person will be waiting for you somewhere or that they're in a really nice place, you know? And here's an interesting thought as well, though, that we, so we know so little about it. And yet here we have a religion that is led by a, by a living prophet that we would hope would, would be able to, answer some of those questions and what's happening as time goes on in mormonism 
is it's getting more and more vague. It's not getting more and more clear. It's actually becoming more vague. So rather rather than adding and enlightening, we're stripping away. So all of mm-hmm. this planet stuff that, mm-hmm. that at one point, you yeah. know, that was that was all accepted by us. Yeah, you know, if you if you're exalted, you are, you will have your own planet and you will create Earth. And, and now we say, no, no, we, we don't know about that. You know, we actually the the the, the picture is getting um, muddier. You know, not not clearer. I think the reason for that they're, is... They're not theologians and they're cowards. You know, they're backing off actually being responsible for any doctrines anymore, unless it's homophobia, in which case they've got all kinds of things they'll go for. But it's, yeah, it's it's a loss, isn't it? This is a unique selling point for Mormonism and they're frittering it away again. Yeah, I think they're a bit spineless mm-hmm. in the fact that the the world has caught up and disproven a lot of physical things that the church claimed, like when we joke about Quakers living on the moon and different things. Well, mm-hmm. who'd have ever imagined, would Joseph Smith have ever imagined that Nephites could have gone to the moon? You know, if he could, mm-hmm. I swear it would have been in the Book of Mormon. But we went there in the end and there were no Quakers there. And it's those sorts of things. And the church just quietly just pushes that to the back. And like DNA, we've gone from the tip of North America to the tip of South America and all the Pacific Islanders being Lamanites. And then DNA came along and now it's just, oh, well, no, that's not what actually what we meant. We meant a small little section of people in Central America in like a valley. You know what I mean? It's, it's they, They're just retreating, 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 whereas I would really like them to take a stand on something not about because the things they're taking a stand on are just things that irk them like lgbtq policy yeah let's take no don't take a stand on that because you're just being mean to people take a stand on something that is genuinely unique like yeah come out and say there's quakers on the moon you know or come out and say this is what's on the menu in the celestial kingdom i just yeah take a stand and, and Julian, I think that you know is absolutely right that the the one of the big gaping holes in the rationality of Mormonism that you sort of kick yourself when you suddenly see it for the first time or get someone explains or mentions it to you is that we we put so much emphasis in the church today on the temple ordinances and those covenants and things being ap- the absolute be all and end all of the gospel. The Book of Mormon itself has diddly squat whatsoever about any of them. There is nothing about any of these ordinances, no baptism for the dead, no endowment, no ceilings, nothing about eternal marriage, even though it's meant to hold the fullness of the gospel. And this is just one of those really, it's so epically important and huge and threatening to the sort of the consistency of the Mormon narrative that you just kind of don't let your brain see it or no one of course talks about it unless you're starting to become a bit more skeptical um and it, this is a huge change we now make this the be all and an end all and i really feel that what's going on in places like birmingham where they're going to dump a temple in the middle of a place hanging by a thread and losing most of its active members next door and they'll to be Julian. herding people into the temple yeah, and they'll be herding people into the temple instead of out there to get converts and to do ministering and herding them towards the last few remaining members who need support or finding some new members. 
it just shows that symbolically this has become completely disproportionate. It's taken over the whole thing. Um, and the leaders love it because you can really control this. You can get the money off the people to go in. It's all measurable. There's no accountability for any of it because this is all promising blessings in the next life. And for dead people who are not, unless, you know, people are having these experiences coming back to tell us about them. Um, it's a win, win, win. And you can buy temples. You can make something look spectacular with your vast wealth, even if hardly anyone's going to them. Um, so you can sort of see how how control freak Pharisees, as it were, are going to love that as the making that the whole focus of the religion, because it removes so much of the messiness of normal human life. It's data, it's a name, it's dates, it's a machine, it's rituals that you can predict and control and measure. None of it involves ministering to living people and dealing with their messy lives or convincing them to believe your religion, which opens up a whole reality check. You know, there's a massive reality check there. You have to be offering something that's actually helpful and relevant to living people to appeal to them. If yep. you can divert everyone's attention to obsessing about something where there's no reality check at all, yeah, that's a win for a controlling organization that is yeah. losing its ability to defend itself in the real world. Julian has yeah. taken three sharp intakes of breath during your uh, speech there, Peter. I feel I, I, that he's going to push back. No, I'm not, I'm not pushing back, but there's so much stuff that we could go with and, and it seems futile to, yeah. to kind of, what we're going to, what we're talking about tonight. Cause there's so many things. Um, yeah, I know. You know, you're saying there about making it useful, and it doesn't even need that. It just needs to be imaginative. You know, say what you mm. like about Josie yeah. Smith. You know, I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not trying to defend him in any way other than this. The man had imagination. You know, and mm. Mm. it's just we, we've we're making it so so bland, and we're stripping things back, mm. and and it. it, it I, 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 I listened to a really good podcast this week. Um, thank you, Jane, for recommending it. It was um, Ram, the Ramiumptum Ruminations. Um, and there's some really interesting... I can't, I, I can't tell you which episode it was, but I think it was a recent episode. Um, it is really interesting. And one of the things that, that they pointed out, which is it's so obvious, really, is that um, the people... It was talking about... Was it sectionality? Is that what, they, what they're called yeah. it? This idea of sectionality and the fact that the the people that are in charge, the people that are running the, the church, are the people that are not going to change. The people yeah. that are very, very stuck in their ways, very conservative, um, very unimaginative. They're the ones that, that that run the show. The people that we're trying to appeal to when we go out and do missionary work, the people that join in the church are obviously ones that are willing to change their views and change their. Um, their beliefs and opinions on stuff. They're the ones that are coming in, but we're not catering for them at all because what the the the, the brand of Mormonism that is being peddled now is um, is just so bland. And we are, and, and this is something that, that really kind of frustrated me going out of the the church when, when I kind of um, graduated out of Mormonism. One of the things that really bothered me was that it just felt so much like we are now just waiting to die. We're waiting for Jesus to come. Our business is just to endure, just to stick with it until Jesus comes. And and that wasn't the church that 
that I wanted to see. And it's not the church. I don't think it was the church of Joseph Smith. I think some people have talked about this already tonight. The idea that, that he would, you know, he would hear something. I mean, that was one of where you want, might see it as a bad thing, but he was very much kind of swayed by the people around him and he would come across some new idea and he would go, right, I'm going to go with that. But also he would look at the way that he saw the scriptures um, was in a way that he would say, well, okay, it talks in the scriptures about a new Jerusalem. Let's build it. Let's let will be the ones to do it. You know, it yeah. talks about it talks about this. Let's do it, and, and we just don't do that anymore. And when you know, Ruth made um, a comment in the uh, um, uh, well, a comment in the comments about I think something to do with environmental issues. You know, these are things that we should be talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about the, the fact that we actually have in our scriptures um, a revelation that says. Um, we shouldn't be eating too much meat. You know, meat consumption is a massive contributing mm. factor yeah. to environmental problems. And we've actually got it in our scriptures, mm. but we're not going to promote it. You know, no. it's mm. there is, you know, I would lo- love to, um, I've thought about this before, and I might have mentioned it on a podcast before, this idea of actually coming up with a um, an alternative general conference. Um, it would and it would be so easy to do. All you got to do is go on YouTube and look at some TED Talks. And there's some great thinking out there, some really innovative ideas and really positive messages that are out there. And it's so easy to do. And we're just not doing it. We're not yeah. doing it. And so, yeah, sorry, I've, I've derailed no, things fine. a little bit there. No. But it is this idea, yeah. No, I think, I sorry, think uh, people saying, you know, Joseph Smith, he knew how to read a room. He knew his people. And he always knew how to kind of, uh, yeah, one-up himself, okay? And I think he would have been, if he hadn't have been, uh, or if he was alive today and wasn't using his power religiously, he'd be a great politician because he was obviously a very charismatic person in order to get all these people to follow him and was able to come up with these new initiatives. And just imagine how exciting it must have been to be in the audience at the funeral and hear him say that because you, many people back then, mortality rates were a lot higher then than they are now because of health and, and yeah. different things. Many people will have lost brothers and sisters before they got a chance to get to the church and be baptized and, and will have lost family before the restored church came along. So imagine being one of those people and just, finding out in that moment that you can do this work for them okay and people literally flocked to do the work and like everything like all mormons were very enthusiastic people and women were being baptized for men and men for women again they didn't have detailed instructions so then there was a revelation that the witnesses had to be there to make sure that the instructions were being followed and they'd never done this before. And then later on, it was a case of um, about six months later, in 1841, Joseph received a further revelation that it needed to be in the temple, okay, and monetized it. But, uh, yeah, the point being, it must have been such an outpouring of just relief to these people that they could Mm. redeem their family Well, the idea that your granny is burning in hell for eternity just because she didn't happen to be in the right place at the right time to join the church is one of the fundamental flaws in Christianity. I mean, this stuff is genius. 
you know, we, we should be, obviously people have got scepticism and issues and so on around the whole idea of temple work for dead people and the baptisms and everything. But it's such a powerful idea. It's still working. That excitement is still there in a much more boring way. Um, you know, this is what is highly motivating people to join our church and to go get absolutely stuck into into temple work because it is so powerful. It is redeeming your dead. It is getting over that fear of death. It is doing something about the people who missed out. Um, and it makes rational sense, you know, if you have the paradigm that baptism is essential. Um, when you start to question that paradigm, you know, why God can just forgive them anyway, why would he need all this busy work to happen, becomes a bit crazy. I mean, in its defense, I would say um, doing work for, for the dead is an amazing way to connect people with other individuals, to feel a connection with history. Um, the powerful message I always get from it is that every human being matters, even if they had a brief sort of an uninteresting life that doesn't relate to anything we're experiencing now. Um, in my file of facts, if I remembered, I've got a little section after ever I did an endowment for someone, I try and memorize the details and their names. And, you know, I've written down, I've got about 15, I think, of people that I've done temple work for. Peter. And they're from all over. They're from Belgium and all kinds of places. And Peter. you just think it is connecting humanity. And that's a powerful thing that religion can do. Why do people keep excommunicating you? Your grace knows no <laughs> bounds. You've actually got the names written down. You are you are like walking on water, my man. You want to? Did you take that to the meeting and you put it in front of them and said, "You have a word with these fifteen and see what they think." Go on, Julian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just going to make the, the comment that another issue with, with all of these it, it kind of relates to the whole idea of the whole idea of baptism, and that is that it turns God into these absolute jobs worth. It just doesn't make any sense, you know. This side, and, and I'm sure it was never, you know. Well, if there was a Jesus, um, you know, I'm sure he never really intended to say, "Look, if you don't do this, this like bath thing, then God's not going to let you into heaven." Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't make any sense. It really turns God into this just um, pedantic, you know. Even to the point of, well, hang on, not all of your hair went under, so. <laughs> Just, I'm sorry, that doesn't count. You're not coming in. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Here we've got this, this uh, omnipotent, benevolent being, and he's going to worry about whether our hair went under the water or not. He's going to yeah. stop us from going to heaven because our hair didn't. It, it's just, it's so silly. And and like I said in the, the, the previous one, I think ritual is important. I think ritual is important. I think rich because it because it can be very useful, and if you understand baptism as just being a symbolic, it's similar to when we take the the sacrament. If you understand baptism as being a symbolic gesture that says, "Look, I'm going to, I'm repenting, I'm starting again, I'm being washed clean of all my sins," you know, uh, certainly as uh, interestingly, the early uh, um, saints in the, the Mormon Church understood it this way because they would do the rebaptism thing. They didn't see it as a one off. So there would be times when they would rebaptize themselves as a as a kind of a renewing of their commitment. That is useful. I think that works. But this idea 
that it's some kind of entrance mm. ticket into heaven is is tosh. It's, it makes no sense at all. As soon as you create ritual, you do have to start having rules around it. And this is the whole struggle is at what point do you get super pedantic about every detail? And this is kind of a lot of the big message of Jesus, that he was having this battle with the Pharisees who'd made it all about adding extra expectations, extra tassels on the clothing and virtue signaling through clothing. And you can't touch the unclean thing. Therefore, you can't talk to Gentiles. And and he was his main message was reign it in people you know yeah i'm not here to destroy the law of moses he said but you're overdoing it now you've taken it too far you've lost the point you're not getting the spiritual food from this because you've made it so pedantic and everything you've described julian you know it's mm. and so this is the thing if you're going to have ritual and it's going to be a ritual that is a shared ritual and that you pass on to future generations you do have to codify it to some extent. You know, it can't just yeah. all be spontaneous. And thus the nightmare of the complications and the schisms <laughs> within religion kick off, isn't it? It's it's yeah. frustrating. It's how can you get the balance right and who decides? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, now the balance is that in the basement of every temple, I'm saying every, that's a sweeping statement, but I'm thinking most likely every mm -hmm. is a baptismal font on top of the 12 golden oxen um, that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, we don't uh, idol worship, so it's nothing to do with that um, idol, that, that oxen in the Old Testament somewhere that they got in trouble for worshipping. Uh, but it's there. We've all got memories, or I'm sure many of us. James, do you have memories of going to the temple? Have you done baptisms for the dead because i know you came later in life to the gospel yep many many and some of my first um memories because I, I converted when i was in youth and then oh, okay it's drifted away so um and then i was um a youth leader so yeah it, you know it was just a, a really i really enjoyed spending time at the temple problems and all um one of the things that i think I don't know. I think it's probably quite good. Um, was the opening up of temple recommends for um to have sort of the the, the part recommend where yeah um if you hadn't been in the church for a longer time you could go and do just baptisms. I thought that was a really good move. Um, but I guess the my main sort of concern would have it still is how awkward it is for the youth because predominantly it's youth who are, who are you know actually doing the proxy baptisms and it's honestly some young women's activities that we had to have i i had a hot tub and we practiced with the young women getting never in, uh, getting in and out of the <sighs> of the pod because because they were so self-conscious about how to do it they were so self-conscious about you know because obviously everything yeah next to you turns out you have a body shape and just the, the pure nature of the the shape of their 
teenage bodies was something that they were so self-conscious about because all of these young men are there too. They don't have gendered sessions in the temple because no. they can have to, you know, because we need a we need a man to be performing that ordinance. Um, so yeah, um, and I would literally be teaching the young women, you know, if you have a look at that picture on the temple, you can see that there's a woman who's coming out of the waters of baptism. Do you see how she's got her shoulders kind of hunched forward? No one's looking at her form and she's kind of holding holding her own shoulders um, in order to sort of feel a bit more modest and stressing to them, you have a female body and that is okay and you don't have to feel... Now, telling a young woman that is not going to feel them make them feel any more at ease. I think it's just sort of recognising it as helpful, but, oh, it's awful. And and so that's my perspective with young women. I mean, I'm guessing the, the boys are feeling exactly the same over the way. Um, uh, bringing into that gender issues, I, I mean, w what if, uh, you know, like my kids, I don't want to be with young women. I want to, you know, but if they wanted to do baptisms for the dead, you know, having to have a very prescribed gender as uh, yes, it's a it's an increasing problem. Mm. Well, I mean, for for me as a youth, I always remember the jumpsuit. The zip was very stiff, and would no, it would stand like <sighs> Julian. You took it. You took it. No, but the zip <laughs> in the jumpsuit kind of, if it formed to anything mm. down the front, the zip would kind of hide things if you know what I mean, yeah, it yeah. went all the way down to the crotch. Mm. So I wasn't too worried. And it was the only time I ever wore Y fronts because that's what they give you um, as a young man. Mm. Um, oh, isn't it like a sort of mini, well, not mini, but, you know, like it's a basic version of the onesie garments that, that you get underneath your jumpsuit? I think it's just standard white fronts. I'm going to dispute that. It was 25 years ago when I went. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's basically an all-in-one um, set of garments, basically, that you're getting. And the, the youth are generally quite aware that, that that's a thing. Has there been, I, I mean, anything that's ever been remotely funny that's happened in the temple hasn't really happened around the youth in baptisms. That would be sort of for other chats, but um, oh, we I, did. I heard one okay. um, from... Oh big member of the group he interviewed the Avengers panel last year at Sunstone Mark Mark Mark, Mark Johnson yeah. told this story of a young lady who'd been doing baptisms for the dead and she ended up you, you've got them laundry chutes and somehow she ended up going down the laundry chute in her birthday suit because she wanted to get something back out of it after she put something in or however but can you imagine? Because they are child-sized slides, aren't they? Um, but can you imagine going to the bottom and being like, drag all the wet stuff out so we can get this little girl out? Girl, if but... you're out there and you're listening to this, can you PM us in confidence? Um, we will not share your details, but oh my goodness, we want to talk to you. Um, yeah, the, the only other thing, um, I guess, that, that happened, and it's, 
I mean, it's related, even though it isn't. We had went for a family trip to the the temple and my kid was, you know, we were outside and it's December and he's wearing this huge, heavy coat. And hey, I'd managed to get Charlie to come. So it was so nice that we were all together at the temple. And uh, Logan, like a typical four-year-old, is looking up at Moroni because that's, you know, that's the, the avatar. And as he's walking backwards, his um his the back of his legs hit the the wall of the pond, and he just tumbles back. So he ended up in the pond. Charlie had to sort of scoop him out, um, and we're like, you know, it's freezing. Where where are we going to go? So into the temple where they let us into this kind of side room. So all of the the youth who were coming up from doing baptisms, now Charlie had been saying for years. What are they going to do if I just run in? What are they going to do? Are they going to stop me? Is it like Kung Fu Panda? They've all got walking sticks and like all of a sudden, like Yoda, they would just... Rugby tackled by geriatrics. On very very, um, good information, I know that the brother at the front desk is always packing a spiritual pistol and just has Kung Fu that comes out of nowhere. We'll see. And this is Charlie's philosophy also for getting into the celestial kingdom. Like, it's going to be that same guy on the desk at the temple. I'm just going to run past him. What's he going to do? Anyway, as um as we're we're in this um as we're in this room with with Logan, um, getting them all sort of organized, and Charlie's now having to find the rest of the group to find out has anybody got a change of clothes for Logan? Um, all of the youth come up from the baptistry and the youth are like. Charlie, you're in the temple. And he's like, see, I told you. And it was just this golden moment for him. Yeah. Oh, that's impressive. Well, um, not to be woe is me as a priesthood holder, but I found um, one of the more difficult things was um, not just the number of baptisms you do. Nemo said that he'd done like 140 in one session when he was on his mission at the temple in London. Um, and sometimes if you are the only priesthood holder there, you can stand in the font for a good hour whilst youth come in and out and in and out. Um, and you've got the slightly older brother sat at the top shuffling the names. But the names can sometimes be so difficult because you don't get a chance mm. to see it beforehand. So it comes up on the screen in the side of the font as he shuffles it under the little camera, but the screen in the side of the font is always covered in water droplets and sometimes gets steamy. So I'd be there stumbling over the name, um, trying to get the nod from, from the guy at the top. And then once you've done all that and you go into the next room and you sat on that really, actually really comfortable kind of ergonomic stool and you, you take <laughs> the little perch like a squirrel Right, and you spend an hour just going like this, <laughs> just taking your hands on and off the kids' heads as you say all the names. I find that, yeah, I miss that. Can I ask? Is I don't know whether this is just my experience, but why do they always put the grumpiest people in the the, the baptistry, like the the grumpiest temple workers in the the people that it, you get the feeling that they hate kids? And they're the ones that are in the baptistry. Yeah. No, I I asked this question once. And I think they're all is, it poli- is it policy, PD? No, I was told that it takes a very special person to be able to run the baptistry, 
because you're dealing with children and some of the people there just can't deal with it. So they have to put the mm. very assertive couples down there and assertive couples mm. tend to be arseholes. So, <laughs> See? Yeah. You know, you get banished to the, the basement if you're assertive and can organize um, squirrels. So I'm staggeringly older than all of you. I don't think I ever did baptisms as a youth. Really? Um, and and I'm pretty yeah, no. Um because so I honestly I'm trying to rack my memory. I'm pretty sure it was like even after my mission before I ever did baptisms or or during my mission at the Provo Temple at the MTC or something. Um I just, just didn't I have no recollection of doing it. It wasn't the normal thing. So I think I might just be on the cusp of one of these generational shifts. You know, what we're talking about here is changes over time. Um, so I don't, it definitely was not a, a normal thing for all the youth to go and do baptisms when I was a kid. You know, I grew up in the church and I've never did it as a teenager. Um, wow. And I'm not sure other people did either. I may be wrong, but it'd be interesting if there are some geriatric old farts like me out there could sort of throw some light on that. Well, I mean, it's all the rage now. This is another of the changes. They're trying to make that's, you know, temple work a way to somehow lock the young people in, getting them doing family history. We had that big push here for getting the youth involved in transcribing the 18 whatever census many years ago as yeah. a way to kind of, you know, well, connect. It's, it, the tail yeah. wags the dog a lot in the what, church. They what, work out that people who stay get into family history so obviously the logic always at church office building is right we're losing all our teenagers let's get them into family history then that will yeah. guarantee them being excited to be mormons that's going to pull them off of their really. devices isn't it no yeah, yeah. we we <laughs> get them in the temple but that's uh, their logic yeah. in, in in the ward where i am there's a canal the leeds liverpool canal that runs through the town i'm in and it runs just in front of the preston temple so the the run is 70 miles and it was about the time that that uh, mobile game came out called temple run and the um local young men's leader came up with the idea that we do a temple run and we run to the temple and what they did is one mile relays and we had like four cars all full of young men and we did a, a relay through this 70 miles so someone ran every mile but it was different people um so every 10 miles you might run a mile um i drove obviously um but we got to the temple and bear in mind we'd got less active young men and we've got young men there who weren't even members but what they'd done leading up to it is they said right everyone do your family history and they got this little um rod made that looks like a relay baton and they took the names that they'd done and they put it in the baton and they ran that baton all the way to the temple for those names to have their work Aww. done right i love that we got to the temple so we cute. were all in like our sports gear and a bit sweaty 70 miles and we were running up the drive the temple president knew we were coming and the jobsworth security guard stood in the way and turned us around and started shouting at us that we weren't dressed appropriately for the temple no. grounds. And uh, yeah. our state president <laughs> was so with typical. us. And he took the guy to the side That's and so he said, typical. 
he's not a member, mm. he's not a member, he's not been to church for 10 years, and they want to take these names to the temple door. And uh, the temple president had to come out of the temple and send the security guard away for them to do like the last 100 meters to the door of the temple. Because the, the idea was that they would hand the baton to the temple president. So he was waiting at the temple mm. because they'd called mm. and said, we're coming now. And the security guard totally uh, got in the way. It was, yeah. My but gosh. Speaking of random things in the temple, paying for clothes in the temple, that kind oh, of I, is a bit weird. One of my dear, dear friends who's no longer with us, one of those people who would have been still serving in the temple to this second, um, used to call it rent-a-tent. And I just thought that was the best. Yeah, so I think, I think Laura Heath called it that as well. Yeah, rent a tent is my favorite. I will never call it anything else. Yeah. And at least when I went to the London temple as a youth, there was a room off the side of the baptistry and there was board games in there that you could play. And I'm like, mm. playing board games in the temple, how sacrilegious are we in it? So that was always fun. But someone asked a question just a moment ago and it was... Oh, I want the question. Jay Cook says, I've added a lot of names to family search. Do you think someone ever baptized them? Jay Cook, I would say they have. Oh, yeah. So the insider scoop on that. Yeah, they most definitely will be baptized and probably more than once. Um, no. Although it's it's supposed to be purged from the system. The rumour mill is suggesting that the temple, which is running out of names and people are running out of names, that, to be honest, temple work is pretty much... Everybody in the lot who's died since, you know, we have records. I mean, the work is pretty much getting all caught up. Yeah, I'm sure there was a moment stories episode with, with the, the guy who used to work for the church, and he said... Yeah. If you're on a census, especially an English census, then your work has pretty much been done several times over. Because if it is a record, wow. it is it, it is done. Um, and so, yeah, that's why, you know, people are sort of continuing to look at family members, sort of, you know, the, the recently, more recently uh, dead ones. And, yeah, so you may find that if there's a name that goes into the system, it could be coming out, it could be coming out several times for several people. Because you, we cannot have people going to the temple and there are no ancestors for them. You know, there, are, there is no work for them to do. Partly why the big push for Ancestry.com. Um, the other thing that I think is really interesting that um, talking about the family history sides of things, I think when we have a group of Mormons, at, you know, who are, demographically you know where you're I hate the term pioneer stock please you all can mm. you not ever say that again it is vile um but yeah you know the people who are multi-generational Mormon who are over there and have a lot of sort of pride in their family history and roots um because it's a bit more you know families are sort of we don't have the the Mormon stalwart roots here quite so much I would suggest 
but there is a lot of family trauma that comes simply from doing family history. And it's not necessarily even, you know, you're looking back and finding some kind of skeleton in some kind of closet, which we all know happens. But just because the idea of family that we teach in the church is so idealized and we have this celestial family that we're working towards and your daily life is about that focus, having to think about, you know, the family that aren't interested, that have made it really clear or that there's, you know, there there's conflict there, it can be enough just to sort of make you it can be enough to re-traumatize you. And uh, so I would suggest that in, in Mormon families that are, are very secure in their family relationships, um, doing family history is probably going to be a lot more successful than someone who um, maybe like me, who it's easier to do family history for a short period of time. And then you have to kind of let it go because it mm-hmm. can all just get a bit much. Okay. Well, JC has made the point that I was coming to, and I'm going to be a bit cynical, but JC said, I do appreciate all the genealogy work by so many TBMs, benefits many non-members too, um, and then my cousins and our family historian uses Ancestry a lot. will be in the UK in August. Um, swing by, JC. But let me tell you this, okay? And I've, I've discussed this a few times. Ancestry.com is a for-profit business of the church, 30 billion records, okay? They're one of the biggest um, and bestest genealogical records and, and systems, you know, companies out there, right? And a lot of people don't even know that they're, they're the church. They're just like Ancestry.com. But 30 billion records, yes, probably the majority were already existing, but how many times have you done indexing where you sat for free and you have looked at scratchy writing and records and you were tried to transcribe that into a digital format and you've done it over and over and over again. And they even have, you know, there was a time when they had targets for wards to do so many records and different things. And this is free labor for the church. This is the, the cynic in me. JC said thank you to the TBMs for doing it, but they've done it for free, and then the church is charging it out. You know, I could understand mm-hmm. if the church said, you know, everyone come along, yes, yeah, start my free trial for 14 days and then pay a subscription. I could understand if the church said, as the Mormon church, we believe in genealogy so much that we're going to put this amazing um resource out there for everyone to do this and everyone can get involved and we can crowdsource all the labor Mm. and do it but imagine how much it costs their competitors to transcribe all that information when they actually have to pay someone to do it 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 is actually something that the church i think or i found has been transparent about that um, calling it a kind of ecosystem. So I think whenever, you know, I just don't have the emotional energy for all the Roots Tech stuff, which is, you know, if you're into it, great. But I do really love doing family history. I, you know, I, I did serve as a consultant for a really long time. I use lots of different resources, including Ancestry. I want to shout out to my non sorry, my uh, my friend who is, a, is, is an inactive member 
I love you. You're amazing. You are staying in the church specifically because you don't want to lose free access to all of the family history sites. Respect to you, girl. I love that. Um, but yeah, they they are they're quite clear about the fact that the indexers fund all of this um so that it's able to work as a kind of ecosystem. Uh and, and that interests me. But yeah. Yeah. But it's 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 an unfair monopoly, if you ask me. But hey, it is what it is. You know, they make a lot of money from it, I'm sure, and it's Jesus' money anyway. Okay, guys, we've we've we have beaten that to death um, for the evening, but we're not finished. We're not finished. We do have one more topic to talk about. But before we do, please, 300 likes. What are we at right now? Um, and I don't expect to get these in the live stream, but we're at 43 over the next week. I'm sure we'll get to 300. If you're watching this after the fact, um, then hit the like button and we'll show the YouTube algorithm what for. Um, also, I've noticed in the chat there are several people that have made a donation to PD Show Fundraiser. And uh, I just want to say I've sent you each, obviously, individual messages of gratitude. But I just want to recognize, you know, that I see you in the chat. I've seen you on the shows. Thank you so much. Um, that will help pay my website bills. I got one this week that I wasn't expecting. Um, so it will help with all of that. On to um, another issue of the dead. Okay. Uh, I've put this together just today because um, Jane's limbering up. It's really not that good. Um, <laughs> But the night before last, I spent 12 hours <laughs> in one of the UK's most haunted um, properties. It's an 800, or there's been a building on the site for 800 years, and part of the building is still the original building from like the uh, the 1200s. Um, but the main building is now from the 1600s. So there's there's um, hundreds of years of death and debauchery as a brothel and all sorts of things. John West, you're fantastic. Thank you, sir. Um, but the, yeah, it, it's supposed to be one of the most haunted places. And what this, the owner's done is he's given access for people to come and stay and go ghost hunting for the night. And that's what I did. Um, and little did I know there were no other customers there. I asked several male friends to come with me because you have to sleep in the same bed so sorry jane i don't think your husband or sister pd would have been happy with that but i asked several people to come with me and they all chickened out uh so i went on my own thinking well there'll be other customers there and there was no one i was the only person and at one point uh the all the staff left and i was the one person left in the 800 year old pub for the rest of the night and i was absolutely cacking myself but i put together a little trailer uh, because i'm still pulling footage together they're still to send me some footage so it'll probably be a week or so before i can put together the actual episode but let's see if we can do this priesthood dispatches he's a man <laughs> it's awesome funny random doesn't make any sense but it's good Oh. Yeah. oh no! The ghost of it again. I told you it is the damn ghost from that. <sighs> <laughs> I 
Peter, Peter, that was far too. Um, I was like, "What's scary?" Sorry, guys, we're gonna, we're gonna. Oh my gosh, I don't know what's doing it. It is the ghosts. It is holy ghosted. Right, we're not gonna go back to the beginning. We'll just go back a, a little bit. That's totally um, like throwing the whole coolness of this uh, out. Peter, if it happens again, please do not scream. <laughs> Anyone here? That is the strangest thing we have ever seen at my hotel. Is that you, spirit? I felt you. I'm actually genuinely scared now. I was really scared at that point. I don't know if you can see it on my face, but I was absolutely bricking it at that point. That was when I called Jane. <laughs> what did you call her? It was like 3.30 a.m. Yeah. It was, it, I mean, like you had, you'd done most of the night and the fact that you did the whole night there, just yeah. well done. I was, I was, yeah. That was the point at which I was ready to run, but the ghosts were stood in the way, so I just had to cower in the corner with that look on my face. So, like, I, I'm not, I don't believe in any of that. You know, I'm not, I'm not someone who's um, super into this kind of thing. But as soon as you mentioned that you were going to do it, I was so excited because it's fascinating, it's entertaining, and you know, everyone loves a good jump scare. I did not anticipate just how freaky and the fact that stuff went down. Yeah. You didn't call me for no reason. No, I I I do not subscribe to ghosts. I don't subscribe to, you know, know or believe in any of that. I just agree that there are things I don't know. And, you know, because it could be anything. I tell myself it was a really old building, obviously. It was a really hot day and a cool night, so everything's relaxing, you know, and it just so happened that it relaxed next to my head. I just, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, maybe, or it could have been a poltergeist trying to rip my ears off. I don't know. But that they, doll, they made it pretty um, that doll, atmospheric. That rocking chair. Yeah, you didn't stand a chance. Yeah, that rocking chair that was rocking by itself, that was at the foot of the bed I had to sleep in for the night. And I was constantly looking up thinking, if that rocking chair starts moving right now, I'm going to start rocking. You know, and I when I got back to the room, I gathered all of my things in one place, like a go bag, so that if it kicked off in the room... I could get out with all of my things at once and not have to go back in because the rooms were made up um, to be scary anyway. 
So yeah, I was. And because it's kicking off outside the room, you couldn't do a runner because the thing is outside your bloody room. You would have had to have run past the legion of whatever it was to get out. But yeah. can I tell you? So my big brave, like twenty-six-year-old son, um, uh, does not like dolls, but finds them extremely creepy. Um, we we had he loves to give me jump scares. So in revenge, I hid a doll in our fridge so that he opened it and worked like a treat. So if anyone knows where I can get my hands on one of those things, can you please let me know? Uh, because that's going to be the Christmas present. Yeah. Well, that was that was a freaky ass doll. Yeah. Well, the, these guys said that they bought dolls from haunted collectors and that they were specifically haunted. And there's videos of all sorts of dolls flying across rooms and different things. None of that happened for me, which is as well. I think if it's fake, surely it would have all happened. You know what I mean? I'd have got maximum exposure to like things flying and, and everything. But I don't know, Julian is very skeptical. Yeah, so you said you said it could have been anything, and it, it, it could, could have been anything except for a ghost because they don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, you oh, can't prove that. It is one of the the, um, the the UK's most haunted houses. No, it's not. It's not haunted because there's no such thing as ghosts. He's fine, isn't he? He must be great. <laughs> <to Halloween. laughs> you, are you going to bring Christmas next? Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and on that note, thanks it could for have been everyone. Anything. Thanks to everyone Except for coming ghosts, tonight. You don't need to look under your beds because monsters aren't real, ghosts aren't real, and we because you can't baptize them in the temple, and we know that. So thank you for being here. In, thank and a fact check: the church doesn't. Sorry, someone said in the comments that just a, a factoid: the church doesn't own Ancestry.com, but it was a lot of members were influential in its early years. It's owned by the Blackstone Group, but they collaborate heavily with with the church's databases. So just a little fact check. So I'm doing an emo. Okay, in, well, in it's still the church tribute me. to him. Uh, I, I guarantee somewhere <laughs> along the line they're not giving it away for free. Yeah, and the church gets free membership, obviously. Exactly. So call it what you want, Peter. Call it what you want. Um, okay, so I'll I'll try and end again. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Remember, like the video, subscribe to the channel, go and check out 21st Century Saints, go and check out um, Mormon Civil War. Nemo's not here, so he doesn't get it. But Julian Heath will one day grace us with his very own YouTube channel. And... It's coming. It's coming. And and one of the... Uh, so I'm going to do a Stranger Things episode as well, which kind of... Your whole ghost thing reminded me of that. Yep. So coming soon. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks, everyone. Um, yeah, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.